Hi, this is the podcast recording of Generations Home Church with Noah Johnson. Enjoy. Okay, let's pray real quick and then we'll start. Lord, uh, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the good things that you give us. I pray that right now you would speak to us through your word. I ask that you would open uh, the eyes of our understanding by your spirit, that you might give us understanding into your word, that we might better see who you are and what you've done for us as you desire to bring us to yourself and you desire to bring all people to yourself. Um, So I ask right now that as we uh, open your word, that you would make things clear and understandable. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, All right, so we've been kind of doing this uh, not-so-quick sprint through the Old Testament. It's supposed to be a survey. Uh, Hopefully, as we get through Genesis, we'll be able to move quicker as we get into other areas. Uh, As we've talked about before, Genesis is obviously very foundational and really important to understanding the rest of Scripture. Uh, really, I was talking with Yach earlier this week and he was like, you, when you teach, you really need to make sure that you have a question that everybody's trying to come to the answer of. And I feel like I've been doing that, but maybe I haven't. So really the entirety of what we're going through is to come up with, uh, two, two quick things or to answer two quick questions. Uh, how did we leave the presence of God in the garden, on the mountain, in his temple, in the Garden of Eden. So how did we leave that place? And then how do we get back to that place? The entirety of scripture is basically answering those two things. How did you leave? That was pretty, we figured that out pretty quick in the beginning of Genesis. And then how do we get back to the mountain? In other words, how do we get back to God's presence? How do we get back into perfect fellowship and union with him. Uh, so the entirety of scripture from... Clay. Titus? Down there. No. Remember? The entirety of scripture from Adam and Eve eating of the fruit that they were commanded not to eat, being uh, forced out of the garden, the rest of scripture is all about God bringing us back to his holy mountain, back to himself. That's no, it. That's the entirety of the rest of the story. Well, but how he does that is what we're trying to understand more clearly. So, so we have so far looked, uh, last week we looked at three big rebellions. And in each of these cases, we saw that uh, usually what was happening was man was really trying to go beyond what he was supposed to. We saw in Genesis uh, 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, the temptation that they gave into was, you will be like the gods, knowing good from evil. So they sought to go without beyond the bounds where they were supposed to be. Then we saw in Genesis 6 that there were human and divine creatures that were cohabitating and making children together. And we saw directly after that that God said, okay, my, my spirit's not going to always dwell with man. So again, there was... Uh, another creature, in this case a divine creature, that was stepping beyond his bounds. And then in Genesis 11, after God has kicked man out of his presence, off of his holy mountain, we see in Genesis 11, as we went through, we saw that the people didn't spread out across the world, but instead they, they congregated to one place called Babel, and they built a tower. And Babel, as we talked about last week, means 
the gate of the gods. So they really sought to, again, enter God's presence without his acceptance of them or without his permission. And so again, we see another one of God's creatures trying to overstep the bounds of where they should be. So over and over we saw this. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get some juice. Um, okay. Here, do you want this? Want water? Here. That's fine. Oh, I'll take a little bit of that. Just take the whole thing. Okay. Okay, so this week what I really want to focus on are a couple things. Let me, let me read through this first. So we saw in Genesis 10 through 11, we saw that after the flood, the world was uh, repopulated by Noah's family, and they were commanded in Genesis 9-1 to spread out and fill the whole earth. Uh, we see that Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives all got off the ark. Uh, we saw that Ham, one of Noah's sons, had a son named Cush, and Cush had a son named Nimrod. And at that point in the story, is that's, that's all through Genesis 10. Genesis 11 is a going back and kind of focusing back down on this portion. It's at this guy's time, this guy's life, and it's what this guy did, Nimrod. He went... He built a city in Babylon. All the people had one language. They were one people. They had one mind, and they decided to build this tower to get to the gates of heaven. Now, at this point, it will go continue on through Genesis 10 to show us the rest of the nations, and Genesis 11 will be this focusing in on Nimrod, this great warrior before the Lord who built the who built Babylon, this country, or this uh, city, and then they eventually built the tower. So the reason I want to stop here in our, in our kind of run through Genesis is because from this point forward, from the end of Genesis 11 forward, we will see the family of Shem, and we will see out of his family line comes a guy named Abraham. The entire rest of Genesis and the entire rest of the Bible will no longer deal with all the peoples of the earth. Adam and Eve represented all of humanity. At the flood, God judged all of humanity. Then he rebuilt all of humanity with Noah and his family. At Genesis 11, at the Tower of Babel, God comes down and sees that all of humanity is in rebellion to him. And so he says, if we do not go down, nothing will be out of their reach. So it says that God went down and confused their languages. And from there, the nations spread out. From this point forward, from this point forward, there will be a demarcation. There will be a line in the sand. And from here on out, the entirety of the rest of scripture will no longer deal with the rest of humanity. There will be moments where God judges the nations or speaks to the nations or reveals himself. In the Exodus, he revealed himself to Egypt, that he was the true and living God. In Babylon, he reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And later on, he reveals himself to Cyrus and Darius as he shows himself to these Gentile nations. But the entirety of scripture now will deal with the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who will eventually become Israel. And the rest of the Bible is dealing with this one chosen people group. So, 
Real quick, I want everybody, if they would turn to Genesis 10, 25, I want to read something to you. And I kind of want to wrap up this part of Genesis before we jump into uh, what we're going to go into today. So 1025 says this, there's, it's going through the different people, uh, the different nations that are born out of different uh, family members from Noah's family. And it says this of 1025, it says, uh, let's start in 21. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. Uh, quick note. A lot of people think that's where the term Hebrew came from. Is this guy Heber? Uh, Shem's sons were Elam, Asher, Arkpakshad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's sons were Uz, Hul, Gaither, and Mash. Arpakshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, which means division. For during his days, the earth was divided. First Chronicles 119 gives us another insight into this guy Peleg's life. I think it's interesting how... First, say that again. Chronicles. First Chronicles 119. I was just going to be funny anyway. They clearly lost their ability to give good names during that time. Mm. Well, his name means division. 119 says this, uh, two sons were born to Eber. One of them was named Peleg because the earth was divided during his lifetime. So what would make sense is during Peleg's lifetime was the same time he was uh, lived at the same time as Nimrod. And it was during his lifetime that God came down and confused the languages. And they went from being one people group called Adam, Adam, mankind, humanity, to being divided into the nations. Genesis 10.32, if you're reading in the King James, ends by saying, I don't know if anybody is reading the King James, but 10.32 would say this what, in the King James. Uh, Genesis 10.32. Genesis 10.32 says... These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records, in their nations. And then it says this in the King James. And by these were the nations divided. The guy's name is division. It says in those days the world would be divided. A couple verse later it says, and the nations were divided. What it's telling us is from this point forward, we are dealing with nations. And God will specifically deal with one singular nation. He will make that nation out of one fatherless man or not father, this man, out of one man who couldn't give birth to a child named Abram. He will change his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham will have a son named Isaac. Isaac will have a son named Jacob. Jacob will have 12 sons. They'll become the 12 tribes of Israel. From there on, the rest of the Bible only deals with them. From then on out. Again, there will be times where there's other things that they talk about. There's other times where they reach out to the Gentile nations, but that is the thrust of scripture from there. Noah, on this it says, you know, separated on the earth after uh-huh. Yeah, he lived during that same time. Okay, um, so as we talked about, the entire the entire story of the Bible is how man left the mountain in God's presence in Eden, and how God is going to bring us back to that mountain. Now, we're going to get into some stuff that's uh, probably a lot of you haven't heard. It's going to be a little bit probably strange to hear about. But it's all through the Bible. But I want to start with 
uh, a couple verses from the New Testament. So if people have their Bibles ready, I'll assign you verses and we can go through and read them. Um, if somebody can read Matthew 13, 34. Uh, Matthew 25, 34. John 17, 24. Revelation 13, 8. Hebrews 4, 3. First uh, Peter 1, 20. Okay. I'll take uh, Ephesians and Romans. Speak up so that everybody can hear in here. Elijah, if you'll read uh, that first verse there, Matthew 13, 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Okay. Since the foundation of the world, there's been these things hidden. Jesus is part of what Jesus is coming to do is to reveal things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. What was that one? And again, we're talking, our entire premise here is that God has a plan to get us back to the mountain. These are some of the things that are hidden since the foundation of the world. Dad, go ahead. It was 1334 of Matthew. Dad, or whoever has Matthew 2534. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Okay, so again, another other translations say since the foundation of the world. There was a kingdom that was created for the people that would follow Jesus, the king, since the foundation of the world. Who has uh, the next one? John 17, 24. Me. Uh, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Okay. Jesus was with God the Father before the foundation of the world. Before creation even started, Jesus was there with God the Father. Uh, who's got the next one? I do. Revelation, Revelation 13, 8. Okay, so. Would you read that again? Will you go a couple verses before so there's some context? I believe it's the image of the beast that the whole world will worship. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemous blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Okay, so God knew beforehand all those who would worship at the at the end of the age, when this age, this human time ends, and God's before God's kingdom comes down to the earth, there will be a great uprising, as Revelation talks about, by Satan, where he will basically be the, the ruler of the world in a visible form called the beast. They'll make an image of the beast, and all the people will worship it. Who are these people? The people whose names were not written in the book of life since the foundation of the world. In other words, before God even started the creation, 
He already knew those whose names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All right, who's got the next one? I believe it's Hebrews 4.3. I'm dead. I'm going to start from the beginning of 4 simply because the numbers are too small for me to see. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear least any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do not enter that rest. Do. Do enter. I'm sorry. Do enter that rest. That's, That's very important. important. <laughs> as, as, he, as he said, as I was reading, it was like, what? In my mind. Bad news. Bad news. <laughs> Danger alert. Sorry. Did I do good? Did that work? <laughs> I don't know if you went through three. Did he? Yeah. That's one where he said, do not enter. They do enter. Huh. That should have said so something. We do not believe. Do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay. Well, there must be a further. I must have written that down. Oh wait. Wrong. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. <laughs> there we go. I was like, that seems kind of like a weird one for me to. You pumpkin. Oh, there it is. You're right. So read that part, Mogan. Can you read three again for us? Just the end part there, all the way through the foundation. I didn't do good. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, so Israel, certain people within Israel, Hebrews says, who were part of Israel did not actually enter into God's rest. They didn't get to enter the promised land. But we get to enter into God's rest to have put our faith in Jesus it's talking about. And then it finishes by saying, even though those works the works that need to be done to enter this God rest were done before the foundation of the world. This plan, all this, all this is pointing to one thing. Even before God laid the pillars or the foundations of his creation, already he had a plan to get us back on the mountain in his presence, in his temple forever. Uh, so who's got would, the next would one? Would you say then we don't need to strive for right. that? He's already done it. So, so all the striving of the Babylon and everything was not in God's plan. and No, was for, not. For, for sure it wasn't. In fact, it was against God's plan. Uh, uh, who's got the next one? First Peter one twenty, I believe. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform. Oh. Do not be conformed to the former. You know, I think. Sorry, I think it was First Peter one nineteen through twenty. Sorry. No, I told her that. <laughs> no, I started a little early, so that it would make sense. Oh, okay. Because Thank it God. says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's works, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world that has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, again. Jesus, who he was and what he would do, was foreknown 
before the foundation of the world. This plan to take us, God knowing that when he, he made everything, Adam and Eve would sin, his plan has existed before the foundation of the earth. He has planned to redeem us and bring us back to the mountain through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.4 says this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Before the world began, he had made the plan to bring us back to himself. So I say all that to basically tell you guys there is a plan. The rest of what we're going to do today is to look into a piece of that plan, a piece of that plan that is oftentimes hidden from our vision. And I'm going to call this the hidden Genesis 11 and a half before we get to Genesis 12, because there's a huge portion of the story that happens that we don't have direct access to right in Genesis 11. So Genesis 11, they build the tower. God divides the nations. He divides the people from one people group to many nations. Um, I am going to read from Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. Deuteronomy what? 32, 8 through 9. I'll start in 7, actually. This is uh, the Song of Moses. This is right before Moses dies and Joshua takes over in the book of Joshua as being the leader of Israel. And this is what Moses says to the people. Uh, he starts his, his, his prayer or song in verse 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 6. 32, Deuteronomy 32, we're going to start in verse 6. Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father and creator? Didn't he make you and sustain you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of past generations. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will teach you. When the most high God gave the nations, again, not speaking of Israel, the nations, their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, many of you might have a version that says, according to the number of the sons of Israel or people of Israel. Children of Israel. Okay, the oldest texts all say the sons of God. Most people believe that later translators, or uh, not translators, scribes, as they were copying the Bible, changed that to the sons of Israel because they were afraid that this might say there's more than one God. All the older texts, including the ones in the Septuagint, all say the sons of God, Ben Elohim. Where, where is that? Will you read that? Where when the Most the High gave, verse 8, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people Jacob, his own inheritance. So, what this is saying, and we'll go to some other verses as well, is this, and it's a kind of profound and somewhat strange idea, um, at least for probably most of us that have been raised in 
the West with Christianity being the predominant religion for a long time and doesn't have very many Jewish roots. It's basically saying this. When God divided the nations in Genesis 11, the sons of God were allotted rulership over different nations. But God took Israel as his own portion. He divided the world up and he said, you guys are the sons of God. You're these spiritual beings that have rulership within God's council. I am dividing up the world. You're going to rule over this nation. You can rule over that one, that one. But this nation right here, this little nation, Israel is going to be mine. So that's the powers and principalities that yep. we, do, we do war with? Yep. Those are the powers and principalities. We'll see more examples of them as we go on. Um, this is really cool, Noah. The, Would you read? Um, well, maybe not. Uh, so I want to read also Psalm 82. It also gives us an insight to this time where the nations are divided. Now, Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Now, one of the things that's interesting is as we go through, it will God will over and over speak to the children of Israel, especially in Deuteronomy, and say, when you come into the land, don't worship these things like the people around you. Don't, don't lift your eyes up and see the sun and start worshiping it or the moon or the stars. Because these, it says, have been allotted to the nations. The, the same word is divided to them. In other words, they've been given to these sons of God. Now, are all these sons of God evil? No, by no means. He simply divides them out. Some of them are evil. And Psalm 82 will talk about that. So let's turn to Psalm 82 and let's read through it. God stands in the divine assembly. Okay, this is, this is where that whole idea, there's many, there's many verses, this isn't the only one, but this is the one that we're going to focus on right now. Um, God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. The divine assembly is the divine council. It is God's ruling uh, beings who ruled with him before the foundation of the world. We're going to get into that further. We're going to see where even before the foundation of the world, God had these beings that were with him. And in fact, if we go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, that's who God is speaking to. We Come, let us make man in our image. When the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, he says, in the day you eat of it, you will know good from evil and you will be like Elohim translated God after they eat it what does God say let us cast them out of the garden since now they were like one of us Elohim so we're not talking I always thought it was just Jesus and the Holy Spirit but you no, say it's much uh, it's larger. a divine council okay. it's it's these created That's beings what I was always taught though with that, those three. and the reason we're also in the image of them they also have the same types of things we have they have the ability to uh, create to choose they have will and they are his family in heaven and they were with him before then we're going to see that in job but let's let's move on to 82 because god really here in 82 he's going to talk to his divine council his assembly these divine beings these ben elohim and he's going to chastise them listen to what he says god stands in the divine assembly he pronounces judgment among the gods how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked provide justice for the needy and the fatherless Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. 
I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God. Judge the earth, earth, for all the nations belong to you. In other words, these people serve at his behest. Noah, can I ask you Just like when it talks about that uh, when, when somebody's brought into uh, the administration of a certain president, it says that he, he serves at the request or behest or pleasure of the president. These, these Elohim, these Ben Elohim, these sons of God, all serve God Almighty. So God's talking when he says, do justice to the afflicted and the destitute, mm -hmm. rescue the weedy, re, needy, etc. But then at the bottom, does the narrator shift to David then when he says, arise, O God, judge the earth? To David? Or no, to, to God. Yeah. For it is you who possess yes, the Yes, exactly. So, so the, 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 the speaker he's, is shifting. Yeah, so what will happen constantly throughout the Bible, and we're going to see other verses, is God is Watch the God above all gods. He's the God of gods. He made these gods. He's saying, you're Elohim, just like me. I'm the only Yahweh. I, Yahweh, and the only Yahweh, but you're all, you're all these God. You're Elohim, just like me. Why aren't you ruling over your nations correctly? I allotted this nation to you. Why are you allowing the wicked to prosper? And you're not giving justice to the needy and poor. You're running this nation incorrectly. Does that happen a lot in the scriptures where the person talking changes? Because uh -huh. as an English speaker, it's, it's very confusing. It does Because we would just never. Yeah. If one person's talking, then we would do something to show now it's a different person talking. That's Dad always Michelle. good. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's confusing to me because at the end, then I'm thinking, well, it's not God talking because it says arise, oh God. This is the same thing that will happen on the new heaven and the new earth, right? We will rule and reign. And a lot of, so we were basically the very beginning of the Bible in Eden. We are invited into the divine council. We're going to be part of it. A lot of people, now there's nowhere in scripture that really talks about this specifically, but a lot of people theorize that this is what upset some of the Ben Elohim, son of, some of the sons of God so much that then they try to destroy the plan, the serpent and so on and so forth. They're basically like, you're going to invite these creatures in to be part of the divine council. We're, we're these mighty beings and you're going to invite these little nothings in to be part of your family like us. We're your sons. We rule with you, God. We're your sons. You're going to invite them in to be your children too? And yet the Bible says in the end, we will rule and reign over them. Not just with them, but over some of them. Wait, the Bible says in Corinthians, divine, the Bible says in first... These are divine creatures. These they are. Men. No, no, they are divine creatures. They are like the, the other thing I just found fascinating so as you were speaking. Are you confused? What, that I was... That's what he's trying... That's what I've been... That's what I've said the entire time. Where are you in love during all this? No, he's saying to the sons of God, the Ben Elohim. Except they're not angels, they're the divine beings. Anyway, what I find interesting is, is I always thought that the angels, the angels and, and whatever beings, like for me, that was pretty much designated, like you're saying last week, that there were angels, that was it. Yeah, angels, demons. Right. Yeah. And, but what has occurred to me is, God, in his just love and kindness to every being that he's made, has given him free will. Yes, exactly. And also, this, also, a lot of people would say there was not one singular rebellion. They are like us. 
they are at t some of them are walking and being faithful to Yahweh and then at times they leave and they stop being faithful to him now I would argue that they probably they, there is no redeemer for them we don't see at least in our scripture. at least we don't and see in the scripture I would guess okay so we talked about before the foundation of the world I want to read they were the the nations were allotted out to the Ben Elohim, the sons of God. These divine beings, part of his yes, and he said, "You Israel alone is my portion. I get this portion. You, I'm allotted. Here we divided it all up. These ones are mine. You guys rule over the rest." And we've now become part of Israel, that set aside nation. That is correct. Yes, okay. if we put our faith in Jesus. Okay. I want to read from Job 38 real quick to help give us just a, to help like Mogan and other people just kind of see this. We talked about this plan that God had before the foundation of the earth, right? We talked about it over and over. Before the foundation of the world, God, certain sectors of the plan are, are mentioned all through the New Testament. Uh, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Their names were not written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Job 38 says this. Job 38, 4 through 7. Clay, okay. Clay, do not write on that I'm scooter. Wearing like a sending word in like comic strip. Clay. <laughs> oh God, huh. you got them. Did I write this down wrong? <laughs> I may have written this down wrong. I don't think you did. Oh, oh, Job. I'm sorry. I'm in Psalms. I'm in Psalms. Okay. Listen to what Job, what God says to Job. Thirty-eight. Where were you, Job, when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know who stretched out a measuring line across it, who supports its foundations, or who laid its cornerstone. While the, suns, while the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Before the foundation of the earth, while God was laying the foundations, who was there rejoicing? The Ben Elohim, the sons of God, the divine council. Do we know how many nations there were that he uh, broke 70 down? to 72. Okay. Is what they think. Um, let's read Psalm 89. Uh, if somebody would turn to Psalm 89, 5 through 7 and read that for me. Psalm 89, 5 through 7. I got it. Okay. Um, if somebody else will read uh, Daniel 7. Actually, I'll read that. Daniel 7, 9 through 10. Dad, if you'll read that portion in uh, Psalm 89. Yep. Right now? And yeah. Was okay. it again 89 what? 89, 5 through 7. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is, is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Okay, now some of those say in the assembly of the holy ones. That's what mine says. And over and over, where is this taking place? If you read that again, where is the context of where this is happening? Uh, I wasn't expecting the quiz. Um, 
In the heavens. This again is talking about, if you read that, the assembly of the saints, again, there's translators go back through as they're as scribes are writing this and they say to themselves well there's not more than one god because they they have this idea of monotheism and so they keep changing those words and really what that's saying is who is like you among the assembly of the holy ones this is his divine counsel this is all divine counsel language these are his sons not human sons but divine sons that he created to rule and reign with him over the world he created man in in our image the image of the elohims to be like them, and they are the ones that rule over the world. Uh, Daniel 7, 9 says this. As I, Daniel's had this vision, and now he's, he's getting an answer to the vision. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, I want you guys to think about this language, think about what he says, and, and try and think of what it reminds you of, because in my mind, it looks like a, a throne room. So, the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothes, his clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire and its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him and the court was convened and the books were opened. Again, this is the divine assembly. Those thousands upon thousands, to me, that's not speaking of humans who are there serving him. That is all the divine hosts that he has created. The sons of God, the Malachi, the, uh, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, all these different divine beings in their different stations and orders and jobs within the holy temple in heaven. And the Ancient of Days comes and takes his seat and he sits down. And then it says this. I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 13. It says, And I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly... One like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Here is this mighty kingdom. Here is this mighty, mighty being, Yahweh, burning like fire, a river of fire flowing out from him. Millions of his divine beings worshiping, praising, serving him. And now comes this one on a cloud that looks like the Son of Man. He comes up to the temple of God. Remember, where did Jesus ascend from after he rose from the dead? He spent 40 days with his disciples. Where did he ascend from? Temple Mount. He ascended from uh, the Mount of Olives on what? A cloud. Here comes this one, like a Son of Man, ascending to God's place, to the temple, and he's escorted directly by all these servants into the presence so, of the Ancient of Days. So this is a picture of that day. This is a picture of Jesus. Yeah, I don't of know if it's specifically that day, but... Because um, the question is, are the 10,000 then us? The 10,000, the 10,000 who stood he before us? I mean, I... Thousands, it says thousands upon thousands are in his service, and 10,000 of 10,000 stand before him. Mm-hmm. I think it could be either or pro- or even both. I think for I, I think for sure that he it, there's definitely divine beings there, and I think this is talking about the divine council. Yeah. And Jesus brought before him, and it says this. Uh, I was in nine. Sorry, my page flipped here. You're on fourteen. 
714, sorry. Okay. Um, he approached the Ancient of Days and he was escorted before him and he was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. You want me to reread that? Yeah. Okay. So he said, uh, he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. In the end, the people that were divided and allotted out to the sons of God who are part of God's divine council, will all be brought back in under one kingdom whose kingdom is ruled by the Son of Man. It sounds like it isn't sin. So, when he ascended to heaven, then he was given this rule. Sure. Yeah. So, it could be. The, That's, the main point that I'm trying to make is to establish that the Bible is very clear that there is a divine council, that there is a heavenly uh, realm in which these beings live, that are beyond just the creation that we see in Genesis. In fact, they were there with him when he did the creation, as Job says, and they rejoiced with him. But it also goes on to hey, show hey, 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 hey. kind of the, the regionalism that occurred. So it sounds like originally the Lord, God came to everyone, and then he narrowed it down and he made a division. And he made these regionalities for different people. And then the regionalism, the tribalism or whatever, has been in Christ eliminated, saying that now... So one nation. Right, one nation. Under God. From these different nations ruled by all of these people, now it's one nation. Mm -hmm. All of the nations are now... It's not nations divided no. against nations. Right, yes. The other thing that just... And I just want to throw this in real quick was the... Uh, resemblance to Joseph there. Just where Joseph went through all those trials and and then he took that position mm -hmm. after he was brought up to a king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I don't know, I just found that thought yeah, kind of fascinating. Totally. I mean there's tons of similarities between Joseph and Jesus yeah. all through uh, the scripture. <laughs> Is he a Christophany? No. Joseph was a real person. I know, but can he be a Christophany and not be a real person? Uh uh. Christ? Christ. That's right. not what that means. Right. A Christophany is an appearance, a of a, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, not in, well, we not an not yeah. analogous. They're to so me, it was just nonsensical. Anyway, um, I love this end point in Daniel. Says that at this point the revelation ended. Oh, I just as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale. Yeah. The matter to myself. Daniel seven, Daniel seven twenty six and twenty seven says this. He. Wait, 726? 726 and 27 says this. But the court, so it says this, it's talking again, this is kind of, all through Daniel there's these visions of the end, the last days and the visions of these different uh, world kingdoms that will come to power. And then Daniel's having communication with angels and different messengers from God and he's having visions and they're kind of revealing this to him. So in a little bit further in chapter 7, in 26 and 27, it's still kind of talking about this beast. And it says this in verse... Uh, 
25, he will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. And he will intend to change religious festivals and laws. And the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene. Again, what's this ta- what does that mean, the court will convene? This is the divine assembly. The divine assembly will come together and it says... The court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Again, this court, this idea of there being a divine council, not only is it in scripture, but it actually, once you see this in scripture, it really starts to make sense of all these things where you're like, I don't get that. What, what did the division of the nations have to do? Well, the whole reason he divided the nations was because his working with humanity as a whole wasn't getting to the place that he wanted to get to, which was to bring us back in his presence. And so what he does is he, through one man, Abraham, he brings all this to fruition, all these people, that once at one point become a huge nation called Israel. And the whole point of bringing Israel forth is so that he could bring the Messiah out of Israel so that Messiah could bring all nations to himself. And so that as many as confess his name from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language can be part of this new kingdom and can once again be on the mountain of God in his presence. So once again, just real quick, I, back to the whole Joseph thing, it just keeps coming to me is so these elohims are really jealous of mankind i mean it seems like that's what a lot of people theorize okay. there's nothing that goes that deep no, 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 into but in what, scripture. I, what i wanted to get at was this with joseph and his brothers who were also the tribes of israel correct they became very jealous yes. of him uh-huh. and they put him away yeah which is what exactly was happening with christ and then he becomes mighty in the eyes of a king and it, you know, yeah, we just have to be careful because Jesus isn't actually one of the Ben Elohim. No, I understand he is, that. Yes. He is Yahweh. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying, once again, the similarities yeah. in Joseph's life and... Um, and none of this really should come as a surprise to us. If you read uh, Acts, and this is what I, Acts 17 says this, uh, and this is what I mean is as we kind of bring in these pieces that maybe seem desperate or disparate and bizarre that really as you bring them in it actually helps the whole bible make more sense if i in in Acts 17 it says this of paul as he went into athens and he went up onto the areopagus are we verse one uh verse 22 are the saints though in this this passage we just read are those the elijah i would think that the saints are most likely talking about god's people in that portion yes because it's talking about that they're on earth and that the beast is given power over them for a time. Um, Acts 17 says this in verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. And said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was, for as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship... I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. 
the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. Again, this is, this is right back to Genesis 11. The earth is spread out over the whole earth. He made one nationality for the whole earth. Or he, he made all the nationalities from one man to spread out over the whole earth. And has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He decided which peoples would be divided into different boundaries to be under different Ben Elohim. Only Israel got to be directly ruled by him. But listen to what he says, because we might read that. We might say, why would God, the God of compassion, who has mercy and shows compassion to a thousand generations, as it talks about in uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 34, Exodus 34, that song that we sing to a thousand generations, even though he only keeps the guilt to the third or fourth generation. So it shows that he's so generous. Why would that same God who's so good and loving and compassionate and merciful put all the peoples of the world under these other beings, many of whom are wicked and lead people astray to hell? Why? And Paul answers it here. He says, he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him or grope for him like they were blind. I believe I've heard in a teaching one time that the wording there is directly taken from, uh, what is the story, the famous Greek story of uh, where the guy fights the Cyclops? Um, oh my gosh. Who is it, Logan? Or Yah? Odysseus. Odysseus. And does he not does he not blind the Cyclops? And it says there, this exact line, I believe, is taken from that where it says he groped after him. In the same way that the blind cyclops groped, they also grope after looking for this God. That they might seek and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Interesting. Again, he ties it back to that thought. The sons of God are the offspring. I mean, that's what Ben Elohim means, the sons of of the Almighty. And yet he says we also are God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. I want to stop right there for a second. Do you ever see in the Old Testament, when God is addressing Israel, him ever say, I'm going to overlook your times of ignorance? Never. Over and again, what he says to the Israelites is, You are condemned because you had the oracles of God, the truth of God, the word of God, the law of God, and yet you have rejected me to go whoring after false gods. But Paul's not talking to Israel here. He's talking to the Gentile nation. Specifically, he's talking to the Greeks and the Athenians. And what does he say to them? He says, 
God, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance. In other words, God gave more grace, more mercy to the nations that were not his inheritance, that weren't allotted to him specifically because of their blindness, because they didn't have direct access to him and his law. But now he says, now that is over with. Why though? God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has now set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In the past, you nations who were apart from Yahweh walked in ignorance and God looked the other way. He didn't judge you for that ignorance. But now he has appointed a day of judgment through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has proven or shown that he is in fact the true judge and that he is worthy to judge each one of you because he raised him from the dead. Did I lose my paper here? Okay. I want to read one other thing to you. Uh, it's from, well, we can keep going. I mean, there's many other verses that we can get into here. Uh, I did want to read uh, something to you from uh, Daniel 4.17. Uh, Daniel has had a vision, or uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has had a vision. Daniel comes to warn him of the vision. The vision is that he has a dream that there's this great tree that fills all the heavens and all the kingdoms under heaven are underneath this great tree. And yet someone comes down, a, a watcher, a holy one from heaven comes down and cuts the tree down. And they put a band over the stump. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he goes, what is this dream? It's bizarre. What, what's the reference again? It's uh, Daniel 4. So Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar, he seeks out God's wisdom, and God tells him what the dream is about. And Daniel 4.17 says this. Actually, I'm going to start at 13. As I was lying on my bed, I also saw in the vision of my mind a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. So again, these, this idea of a watcher, also another sort of divine being that we're told about in the Bible. We're not given a ton of information about him. They might have a different role than, say, angels. It might be their job to specifically go and see what's happening in the nation, see who's disobeying God to such a degree that he needs to come down. Maybe even in Genesis, where God comes down to see Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, it has come before me. The report has come to me, basically, that there's really wicked things happening here, and I'm going to go down and see. So those might have been the watchers that were watching. What does your translation say? Angelic watcher. Angelic watcher. Okay. Um, a holy one. A holy one coming down from heaven. And he called out loudly, cut down the tree, chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human. So now we switch. It's not a tree anymore. It's talking about a human being. This tree is Nebuchadnezzar, this great ruler. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be cut down. He's going to be, he's going to be humbled. He's going to be judged for his wickedness. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time, seven years. This word is by decree of the watchers 
So not only do they see things that are happening, not only do they come down, but in fact, it is their decree to have this happen. They were the ones that decided that this should be his fate. So this divine council has authority. It has a certain amount of autonomy. God has invested them with this authority. That's why Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and uh, rulers of this present darkness. Uh, Mine says the sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones. So the decision is a command of the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives it to anyone he wants and he sets the lowliest of people over it. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, I gave it to you because you're actually the lowest of people, not because you're the best. Now, here's what's interesting is how this divine council works together. Later, in the same chapter, verse 24 says this. Now this has happened. Nebuchadnezzar has been arrogant against God. His mind is taken from him. He lives like an animal in the field for seven years. He's no longer king over Babylon. In fact, I'm going to go to... Uh, Yeah, sorry. Verse 23 says, now, Nebu now Daniel is now, so Wait, first, first the king gave Daniel his dream. Now Daniel repeats back what the dream is about. Listen to what he says. Verse 23, the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump. Um, and then he goes down to verse 24. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the most high that has been issued against the Lord, my king. You're happy to tell this one. <laughs> you will be driven away from the people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wants. But then he goes down and says, it will be restored to you later on. But what I wanted to point out there in verse 24 is it was decreed by the Most High. Well, earlier we just saw it was a decree of the watchers. So it would be like if uh, somebody, uh, let's say Pompeo and President Trump's administration decide, made a decision, it would stand with the authority as though it were a decree from the president himself, and yet it was one of his council members, one of his administration, who made the decision. And so in the same way, we see that interplay here. The divine council is a group of the sons of God, Ben Elohim, these divine beings that got, rule and reign with the Lord. They were there from before the foundation of the world. In fact, they were there as God did it and rejoiced with them. When God made humans, he said, let us make them in our image. When he cast them out of the garden, he said they have become like one of us, Elohim, knowing good from evil. Therefore, let us cast them out, lest they take from the tree of life, eat it, and live forever. The nations are divided to them. Um... Our Bible uh, is obviously the Protestant Bible. The Catholic Bible has other books that were considered canon, including a book called Ecclesiasticus. And I want to read from there. It was written, the book was written and put into parts of Jewish scripture about 200 years before Jesus was born. And I just think it's interesting because 
although it is not considered scripture by us, even early Christians read these books because they felt like they were um, they were helpful and they would help build them up. So they didn't consider, it was like they had levels. These are scripture, these are divine utterances from God that he has by his Holy Spirit inspired. But there's other writings that are also beneficial and can build us up in our faith. Um, kind of like reading sermons or teachings. Ecclesiasticus 17.17. The reason I want to mention this is because I want you guys to realize that this idea isn't like some new crazy idea of these divine beings and this council. It is an idea that has been around for millennia before we ever even knew of Jesus, before he was ever born. Uh, If it will open here. Um, It's Ecclesiasticus 1717. Uh, hmm. Elijah, could you see if you can pull that up on my phone? Jack, can you read Ecclesiasticus 1774? Turn it by Jack. Well, if I would have... He's looking it up. Um, while Elijah's looking that up, I'm not going to read all these, but I'll just give people... Uh, references if they want to look these up on their own time. Uh, Psalm 29.1 talks about that uh, God is the God of gods. Psalm 89.5-7 talks about a similar thing. Exodus 15.11. Uh, Exodus 23.13. Deuteronomy 10.17. Maybe you could take a picture of it. I'm Psalm 86. Okay. All this. Uh, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of them. And my, my, the point being is the Bible, even though it makes fun of the idols, that they're nothing... The gods are clearly attested to all through the Bible. The fact that people are worshiping them is illegal, unlawful, and ungodly. The fact that these Ben Elohim have decided to usurp God's position and put themselves in a position to be worshiped by humanity is also wrong. So that's why you see God bashing them and saying they're not really even gods, they're just a statue. He's mocking them. He's mocking them. This is how you have to be worshipped. But never does the Bible say there aren't such things as gods. Even in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we know that these meats being sacrificed to idols aren't a real thing, even though they're being sacrificed to demons, because everything is cleansed by faith in Jesus. Later we see they have power in Egypt. Yep. Okay, so Ecclesiasticus 17.17, again, this is considered uh, part of the Holy Scriptures to both the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics, as well as the Anglican Church all have this as part of their Scriptures. We do not, but it doesn't really matter. It's instructive to us. It says this, For in the division of the nations of the whole earth, he, speaking of God, set a ruler over every people, but Israel is the Lord's portion. This idea was not foreign to the Jews. They knew exactly what it was about. They believed in a divine mountain with a divine being who was the greatest being, the creator God, who had no beginning or no end, named Yahweh. And they believed in a pantheon of lower divine beings called the Elohim, or the Ben Elohim, the sons of God. And specifically, (coughs) as it says here, 
For in the division of the nations, again, hearkening back to the division that happened in Genesis 11, that talks about in uh, Genesis 10:32, the dividing of the nations. For in the division of the nations of the whole earth, he set a ruler. Again, this brings us back. Are we okay? Are, is he okay? Yeah. This brings us back to Paul's language. What happened? Uh, that there are rulers and principalities and powers. Uh, but Israel is the Lord's portion. Juicy. It was an accident. Sorry. Who ran into who? Juicy and Charles. Oh, bike straight into Charles and they flipped over each other. <laughs> yeah. Bikes. And where's Charles? I think Charles is fine. Right finish with this. Uh, this is one of Jeremiah's. Uh, this will be the last thing I read. There's other verses I can give you guys if you want to look up some of the stuff on your own. Um, obviously, a lot of this work and a lot of these verses aren't me gathering them. They're from uh, a lot of Michael Heiser's work. Uh, he has a website. He also has several books. So you guys can look up that stuff if you want to read into it more. Um, Jeremiah is... Basically, here in Jeremiah 10, the Lord is chastising the nation uh, and basically saying, how do the false gods compare with the true creator? And he says this. Um, Hear the word that the Lord has spoken to you, house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the way of the nations. Or be terrified by signs in the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. Someone cuts down a tree from the forest. It is worked by the hands of a craftsman with a chisel. He decorates it with silver and gold. It is fastened with a hammer and nails so it won't totter. Like scarecrows in a cucumber patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm. And they, can do, and they cannot do any good. Lord, there is none like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? Is it what you deserve? It is, or sorry, it is what you deserve. For among all the wise people of, an, of the nations and among all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish, instructed by worthless idols made of wood, beaten silver, is brought, in, is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of a craftsman and of a goldsmith's hand is clothed in blue and purple, all the work of skilled artisans. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and eternal King. The earth quakes at his wrath and the nations cannot endure his rage. You are to say this to them. 
the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Again, this harkens back to Psalm 82, where he says, in the end, you wicked Ben Elohim who have not ruled over your portions correctly, you will die like mortal men. He says that. Here he says, you will perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He made the earth by his power and established the world by his wisdom and spread out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters and the heavens are in turmoil and he causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is stupid and ignorant. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his carved image. For his cast images are a lie. There is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work to be mocked. At the time of their punishment, they will be destroyed. Jacob's portion. So not only is Israel God's portion, but God is their portion. Just like it says all through the Bible, that he is our great reward. It's both. Israel is his portion, his inheritance. But Jacob's portion, it says, is not like these. Because he is the one who formed all things. Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of armies is his name. We have been called into this great, amazing thing. We've been born at such a time as this, that we get to be those who can go to the whole world to reconcile them to the Lord. We are those that get to point to that son of man that came upon the clouds and will receive a kingdom that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every language will come underneath. We are ambassadors of our king. We are to be sent out into the world to reconcile the lost world of the Gentiles that we are a part of to the true king, the eternal king. These other gods that they have worshipped falsely have led them astray but God's plan will stand, the plan that was made from the foundation of the earth to bring us back to his presence, back to God's holy mountain. So next week we will jump into Genesis 12 and we'll see how that plan begins to unfold. But this is where the things get, I think, really interesting and fascinating. It's where, as you begin to see this, as we read through other portions of the Bible, we'll see this type of thinking. You'll see David cry out to the Lord, Lord, why are, you drive, why are you allowing Saul to drive me from you? And we as Christians living in this time, in our modern way of thinking, think, what does he mean? How could Saul drive David away from the Lord? But in David's way of thinking, where is Yahweh's portion? Israel. In the borders of Israel. So if he's being driven outside of the borders of Israel, he's actually being driven away to false gods. We will see in another place, I think mom even mentioned it last week, other people of the foreign nations and foreign gods, one of them, Naaman, a general of the Assyrians, comes to Elisha to say, hey, I was told you're a great prophet of Yahweh. Maybe you can heal me from my leprosy. And he goes and he is in fact healed. And when he goes to leave, he says, grant me this one thing, Elisha. Let me take an entire carton full of earth with me. How bizarre is that? Why, after you have just been cleansed from leprosy by Yahweh, the true and living God, would you then ask his prophet, 
can I have an entire cart of your dirt? Well, because he wanted to take part of that area that was Yahweh's, that land that was Yahweh's with him so that he could continue to worship Yahweh. And he says, and don't let it be held against me <coughs> when I go into my master, the king's, the temple of his God and must bow before the God to hold up my king. In other words, my king's old. He needs me to bow down to make sure he doesn't lose his balance as he goes into worship his God. Let it not be held against me. And let me take some of this earth. So what we begin to see is this way of thinking that we don't think of it this way because Jesus changed the way we think. He said to the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, hey, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He doesn't care about this mountain or that mountain. And she specifically is worried about it. Now you guys say, you Jews say it's this mountain. We say it's this mountain. And we'll learn later on that actually those Samaritans were a group of people that were brought into Israel out of the pagan nations when Israel was sent away. And as they were living there, they kept being attacked by wild animals so much so that they sent a message back to the king saying, we live in this land of the Israelites. We don't know how to live here. We must be offending their God because we keep getting attacked by lions. The king says, okay, send back one of the Jewish priests to teach them how not to offend the God of that land. Everything they believed had to do with borders, territories of these gods of the nations and that specific boundaries were allotted to them. And if you went outside that boundary or you entered into a new boundary, a new area, you need to figure out how to worship that God correctly. So what we also see then is the one world government is the devil, Satan, whoever you want to call him, is trying to establish essentially what God says there'll be essentially one nation under him, but Satan is trying to duplicate that by the one world government, correct? Uh, possibly. Sorry, you'd have to say that again. I was reading Essentially something. the one world government that we see in Revelation. Yeah. And the mark of the beast and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And they, all, all of that is essentially... Satan trying to look like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what Antichrist means. We always think right. Antichrist, oh, de demonic. No. No, he's not going to come like that. He's not going to come with horns and a, right. and a tail and look all evil. He comes to replace Jesus, another Christ. I'm a better Christ than that one. Oh, yeah, he cared about you guys living righteously and all. I just come here to give you guys what you want. I'm the new, I'm the new Christ. I'm another Christ. Right. Um, well, what was the Job? Uh, Job was uh, 38 4 uh, real quick I'll just read that section because I think it's fascinating it's 2nd Kings 17 and then and then we can for real be done I know you guys are probably like please let us be done okay one second Holy what? Dad! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now it's telling us, remember, uh, you, maybe you guys do know this, maybe you don't, but as David takes over as king of Israel after Saul, God promises David, you're going to have an everlasting kingdom. David gives the kingdom to his son Solomon. Solomon actually rules the nation really poorly. He starts out good, 
but actually everyone hates him because he basically enslaves the whole nation to build his house and this temple and everything else that he builds. And the people hate him. So after he dies, the nation actually splits apart. It doesn't really end up being a civil war, but 10 of the tribes are called the Northern Kingdom. They're called Israel. Two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, become what we call the Southern Kingdom of Israel or Judah. That's where the word Jew comes from. Now the Northern Kingdom, okay. The Northern Kingdom leaves God much quicker than the Southern Kingdom of Judah does. And when they apostate from God, he judges them. Second Kings 17 says this in verse 21. When the Lord tore Israel from the house of David, Israel made, again, Israel speaking of the Northern Kingdom, not the whole nation, not everyone together, 10 tribes in the North. Israel made Jeroboam son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam led Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit immense sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins that Jeroboam committed and did not turn away from them. Finally, the Lord removed Israel from his presence. Again, that's his presence in the land. He, let, he drove them out of the land. He drove Israel from his presence. Just as he had declared through all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel has been exiled to Assyria from their homeland to this very day. It's okay, buddy. All right. I will skip ahead in 17. Was it 1 Kings 17? Or 2nd? Sorry. Sorry, you got hurt. Sorry. Second King 17. What? I said Mama Emmaus, is he gonna be okay? She does take good care of him. I know. Okay, uh, verse I'm gonna skip down. So the Lord takes them out of Assyria out of the land, takes them to Assyria. But what the Assyrians would do when that happened is they would bring in other people groups to dwell in that land. So part of the way that they would keep people from rebelling is they would take them out of their native land. They didn't know the area. They didn't know how to, to live there, how to fight there, how to grow food there. And so they would be completely preoccupied with trying to live rather than trying to rebel. And so after the Assyrians ripped the Israelites out of the northern kingdom, they brought in other people groups. Now it says this. this the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sephravim, and settled them in place of the Israelites in the cities of Samaria. This will be, during Jesus' time, what becomes the Samaritans. The settlers took possession of Samaria and lived in the cities, and when they first lived there, they did not fear the Lord. So the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. And the settlers said to the king of Assyria, The nations that you have deported and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the requirements of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them that are killing them because the people do not know the requirements of the God of this land. Then the king of Assyria issued a command, send back one of the priests you deported and have him go and live there so he can teach them the requirements of the God of that land. Now, as we get into the New Testament, these are who will actually be the Samaritans. And they never really figured out. They're always worshiping God in a kind of okay, but really false way. It's this mixture religion. Anyway, um, that's it for today. If you guys want, we can go more deeply into this next week because there's a lot of stuff we didn't really touch on. Um, there's all sorts of stuff where we can get into 
things where we can see specifically these rulers over certain nations. We see when Daniel wants to talk, uh, we see when Daniel prays that Gabriel is sent to him, an angel, and yet he is resisted by the king of Persia. And so we're going to see this stuff all through the Bible. Anyway, that's it for today.